So we're really excited about the building, but we must keep our focus where the Lord Jesus is focused. Not on the building, but on the people. The crowds here in Edinburgh, hundreds of thousands of people who were like sheep without a shepherd. Have you been praying that prayer I suggested last week? I encourage you to pray every day as you left your home. Please send out more workers from Charlotte Chapel into your harvest field. As we come to chapter 10 of Matthew, I hope you realize that actually that prayer is really this. Lord, please send us as Charlotte Chapel into your harvest field. Because look what Jesus does. No sooner has he called the disciples to him and urged them to have the same vision of the people as he has and urges them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I mean, imagine Jesus says, look, let's pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers. What do you think the disciples did at that point? If Jesus says to you pray, I guess what you do right there and then is you gather together and you pray, don't you? You're praying together and, and uh, the next thing that Matthew records Jesus doing is he says, go, I'm sending you. So it turns out that they're the answer to the prayer. Do we get that? That's a bit of a switcheroo, that, isn't it? But that's how it works. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers. Go, I am sending you. See, the compassion of Christ called his disciples not only to pray, but to go. Now, as we come to these verses in in chapter 10, we have to recognize that um, there are certain elements of this that are time-bound and specific to the disciples. Uh, In Matthew's gospel, we've already seen, if you you start reading from the beginning, that uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called Peter and Andrew and saying to them, come follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. So he calls them from their job of fishing for fish And he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they've watched Jesus and the other disciples have watched Jesus going through all the towns and villages, preaching the gospel, uh, bringing the good news, healing every disease and sickness. And now we're on to the next step of their training program. See it? Do it. And so he, um, he sends them on some practical experience. They've seen Jesus do it, and now they're enlisted and commissioned to be about the mission of Jesus. And now it's important for us to note that these 12 are not us. These were specific instructions given to them, not us. Look back at chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. And here's the specific people that he's talking to. You've got their names here. He had personally picked these 12 men 
to be his apostles, his sent out ones, commissioned by Christ to properly represent him. These men will be the eyewitnesses of the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. And they will form the foundation of the Christian church. What they taught will be written down and they will become our scriptures. These are special capital A apostles, pretty unique in salvation history. And this special position uh, is marked by them receiving this extraordinary authority of Jesus to do exactly the same miracles that Jesus did. To cast out evil spirits, to be able to heal every, notice the words every, every sort of disease and sickness, including raising the dead as they go about their primary task of preaching the kingdom. Look back at verse 7 of chapter 10. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. These are the signs of the apostles, as the apostle Paul himself described them in 2 Corinthians these were the authenticating marks of this unique time in, church, in salvation history where God was revealing himself uniquely in Jesus Christ. And these signs and wonders authenticated this unique moment of revelation in history. So I'm quite convinced that these foundational apostles could do things that we as followers of Jesus actually have not been given the authority to do. Now I know that some Christians would disagree with that. And I'm happy to chat with you afterwards about a bit more reasoning why I think that from the Bible. But my simple observation is this, that when people come into Edinburgh proclaiming to have the gifts of healing and miracles, they don't tend to go to the hospitals where every sort of disease and illness is there. They don't go to cemeteries. They go to meetings where they sing forever, hype people up and then claim things. And my friends, if, if these folks could really be raising the dead, I think we'd be hearing about it, don't you? So I'm not sure that we really, I, I'm quite convinced actually, that we don't have these, uh, this authority to uh, do these things in the way that they did them. These were marks of the apostles. But what I want to say to you is that having been clear that this was not written to us, I want us to see that Matthew has recorded this for us. This teaching is not to us, but it is for us. There are principles here that are just as relevant to us who've received not this particular commission to, uh, to go to the lost sheep of Israel and, and not go to the Samaritans and so forth. No, we've received the great commission, which is now to go to all the nations. Yes, uh, share the gospel with with Jewish people, but also share the gospel with people from all the nations of the world. Because right there at the end of the story is, is, is our commission, the great commission, where Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so this morning, uh, I mean... A couple of years ago, I preached on this, and I did look at more detail in the text. So you can go back and listen to that if you'd like, or I'll tell you some good commentaries you could read. 
But this morning, I want to just be very practical. I want to make four specific applications for us about the method of Jesus. Last week, we saw the mission of Jesus. It is his mission. He has compassion on the crowds. He, sends, he says, pray the Lord of Harvest to, to, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is his mission. But I want us to see here principles from chapter 10 about the method of Jesus that I think that are still as relevant for us today and for us right now here at Charlotte Chapel at this exciting time of transition for us. So four things. Firstly, go and proclaim. It's quite clear, isn't it? Verse 6, go. Verse 7, as you go, preach. And what, what, what does it say in Matthew 28? All authority has been given, therefore, oh, I know deep down you're excited. What did Jesus say to them in the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me, so therefore, oh, oh. is it that hard? Should we say with a bit more enthusiasm? Jesus said, oh, that's very good, very perky, well done. Go. Now, we have to see this. The command is to go. I'm not making this up, am I? Do you see it in the Bible? Go. Stop waiting for people to show up. It's not the mandate. Do we see it? It's not the mandate to wait till people turn up. The mandate is to, to go. It's disobedient to wait for people to come. Stop it. Jesus commands us to go. Who does he send? Twelve very average men. Most of them, we don't hear much about them. He doesn't wait for them to have complete understanding. Read on, you're going to see that actually they um, quite often really miss the point. But even at this stage, he says to this, these guys, Go. In so many ways, they're still clueless. Uh, I don't think they're the brightest and the best. They're just normal people with temperamental faults and weaknesses. And uh, there's no requirement to get a theology degree to learn uh, all, all the ins and outs. Jesus just says, go. There's not really a a 10-week evangelism class, although I think sometimes those things are helpful. But he says, go. And they're not to worry about the resources. It's a short-term mission. Travel light. Don't have to go down to Jenner's and buy some uh, extra suitcases and other bits and bobs, the backpack, and, the, and say, I'm ready to go now soon. No, she just she said, go. Off you go. Don't worry about spare shoes. Off you go. Now last week, Sito uh, shared how for many years he came along as a member of Charlotte Chapel, uh, sitting where he's sitting now. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Sito, creature of habit. There we are. And uh, he sat there for many years as he's sitting there right now. And for many years thought, well, mission is for other people. It's not, not about me. So the guy in the pulpit talks about mission. He's thinking, oh, it's not me. It's not for me. It's not about me. But then it was the death of his wife that woke him up to the limited time 
that he had and made him consider that actually the command of Jesus to go and make disciples actually was for him. And uh, do you remember what I asked him last week? I said, if you could go back 20 years and what would you say to yourself? And he said, I would say, get out of your comfortable rut. Now, it's so easy for us to live settled, comfortable lives. Me included, right? This is not me having a go at you. I'm speaking to myself. It's so easy for us to live comfortable lives where we come to church, go about our work, take care of the house and the family, and essentially ignore the call to engage in the mission of the Lord Jesus. And that's why churches in Scotland are aging and shrinking, because we so easily settle to stay safely in our church buildings and pull up the drawbridge. Now, for Sito, that has directed him to move out to the Far East Asia. But you know what? Getting out of your comfortable rut doesn't actually have to mean moving somewhere different. We can actually get out of our comfortable rut right here as we live in Edinburgh by getting up each day and going out into the day in a way that's seeking to connect with people so that we can connect the people to the Lord Jesus. It means heading out the door with that sort of intentionality. I'm going to connect with people so that I can connect them to the Lord Jesus. That's what it means to get out of our comfortable ruts and go on mission with Jesus. And what I want to encourage all of us to do is to see that he wants to use each one of us to do this. Each one of us. It would take too long. I could point each one of you and say, he wants to to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to send us. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. If we listen to him, perhaps, and do what he says. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in his harvest field. And then what? Go to be the workers bringing in the harvest. We've got to go. Second point, get close to people and share what you've got. Get close to people and share what you've got. Take another look at verse 8. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Now, I can't heal those who are ill. I can't raise the dead. But look at what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. They're commanded to go and get close to people, including those who are ill, bereaved and grieving, unclean, infectious, afflicted, tormented. And Jesus says, go Go to them. Get close to needy people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Get close to people you don't know. Get close to people who are a bit messy and complicated. Because the truth is, so are you. All of us are. We're all messy and complicated. Get close to people so you can share the good news of the kingdom. 
And whatever you've learned from Jesus, pass it on. Don't worry what you don't know. Just tell them what you do know. It's quite simple, isn't it? Freely you've received, freely give. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you've got a lot more than most people in this city. Now, it is a bit uncomfortable. Uh, I'm a fairly gregarious person, but I, I think twice about walking up to complete strangers or saying hello to people. I'm shyer than I look. And it's a bit scary and intimidating, isn't it? it? Because it's asking us to get out of our comfortable little ruts and our self-focused lives and to look to connect with the crowds of lost people. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? But I do think that's what the Lord is calling us to do if we're his disciples. Head to the golf club or into school, or the office, or as you walk down the street and neighborhood with the goal to come alongside people and get to know them. Come to church on a Sunday and look out for people uh, and come alongside to help people. I'll tell you what, it's easier to do it here because they've turned up for a reason. Must have some interest in God, church, Jesus, or something. It's an easy thing to come here and start chatting to strangers because at least they're in the, in the, in the room. Now, I want to be really practical this morning. What do I mean? What am I saying? What am I talking about? Well, I want to call this questions and Jesus. Questions and Jesus. So step one, be friendly and ask people questions. It's just being normal, really, isn't it? When you meet people and you're being friendly, what do you do? You try and get to know them. You ask them questions. Be friendly. Initiate conversations. When appropriate, say hello to people. Greet them. Be interested in people and ask them questions. Most people who have a sort of normal amount of relational skills eventually ask you a question back. Not everyone, because not everyone has those relational skills. But most people eventually ask you a question back. And uh, they ask about your life. So here's the basic structure I want to get you to think about. Find out about their story. When they ask you questions, tell them a bit about your story and find a way to connect that to Jesus so you can tell his story. Their story, your story, his story. Just find a way of connecting your story to his story. So let me give you a few examples. You you meet someone you start to get to know at the school gate or at the uh, lunch break at work and you ask them tomorrow did you have a good weekend? Did you have a good weekend? And be interested in them. One of the great things about the Queen, did you watch the program about the Queen, the royal family chatting about the Queen? One of the things about the Queen uh, that I think Princess Anne said, the thing about the Queen is that she's, she's made, remained constantly inquisitive. How do you cope with meeting all those people all the time? Because the Queen is constantly inquisitive. She's, she's, she's genuinely in. She'll ask questions. She's interested. And uh, so, you can say to people, Do you have a, did you have a good weekend? Ask them to share their story. Ask some questions about it. Find out about them. Eventually, they might say to you, how about you? How was your weekend? 
And you can tell them, well, what you did on Saturday, I did a bit of gardening or I went cycling or whatever you did. And then he said, you know what, on Sunday I I went to church and I heard a talk about the compassion of Jesus for the crowds. It really challenged me about the way I think about people. You could say that, couldn't you? And then this is a great question. This is a great follow-up question. Have you heard a talk about Jesus? What did you do on the weekend? Well, did some gardening on Saturday. Went to church on Sunday. Heard a a talk about the compassion of Jesus, the way he cared for the crowds. It really challenged me about my attitude to people. Have you ever heard a talk about Jesus? You could ask. Now, they can can respond in two sort of ways, can't they? They could say, uh, no, and I wouldn't want to. Well, there we are. Conversation over, I would say. Start talking about something else. Be normal. Lovely weather, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the sunshine on the weekend. So, you know, just move it on. Be normal. Have an exit strategy. Or they could say a bit more wistfully, no, I've not. And at and, and that point, you could say, well, do you know what? If you want, why don't you come along to church with me? Would you like to come next Sunday? Maybe you could come back, you could get a bite of lunch together afterwards. Would you like to come next Sunday? Their story, your story, his story. Do you think you could do that? Have you ever wondered why people who aren't yet Christians come to church? How does it happen? How is it that people who are not yet Christians, how do they come to church? Someone did a study and found out this. 1% because they were visited by Christians. 2% because of the church program, a senior citizen's lunch or a toddler group or something like that. 3% because of bereavement. 3% because of Sunday school. 6% uh, through... By walking through the door because they saw publicity. 8% because they had some personal contact with a minister or one of the church staff. 77% because a friend or a relative invited them. That's quite breathtaking, isn't it? An astonishing statistic. But it's where we're stopping from it. 77% turned up at church because friends or relatives had invited them. Have we contributed to this statistic? See, Lord willing, we will be in Shanwick Place from May 22nd. As I said, sometime this year. You know, it could be the bandstand on the 22nd, but hopefully on the 22nd of May. And we'll have official launch Sunday on the 19th of June. How will our friends and our family, our work colleagues and neighbours get there? How will they be there? On the official launch Sunday. Do you know what? Only if we invite them. We'll we'll try and do some publicity. But you know what? They're only really going to come if we invite them. Isn't that true? It's only if you invite them. Situation two. Someone starts to tell you about their night out. And you listen and you're interested. You ask some questions about it. They're telling you about a great restaurant they went to or a concert. And, ooh, tell me about it. You're interested in it. 
and they might eventually, so they're sharing their story, right? And then they might eventually come around and say, well, what did you do last night? Now, if it's a Thursday and you went to growth group, you could say this. Oh, well, I met with a few friends last night and we looked at a bit of the Bible. It was so encouraging to learn that God cares about us even when life is hard. Have you ever read the Bible? No, that's not, that's not an embarrassing question, really, is it? And again, they could, uh, their body language could either be positive or negative. If it's negative, talk about the weather, move on. But maybe they're positive. Maybe they're saying, do you know what? I've always thought about it, but I've never done it. And you could say, well, would you like to look at the Bible with me? We could try it once and see what you think. Or you could even say, well, what, do you want to come to our, our group next Wednesday? They're, they're really friendly people. Would you like to come along? Last week, I encouraged us to obey the Lord Jesus by praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. This week, I really want to encourage us as a whole church to be the answer to that prayer. And in response to Jesus, get going on mission. I know some of you already are, so keep going on mission. Get close to people and share what you've got. It doesn't even have to be your friends. It's a great idea, friendship evangelism, but the problem is that you run out of friends pretty quick. It can be just people you meet. Whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've got Jesus, you've got so much to share. If, you've, if you're trusting Christ and you've got Christ, you've got so much to share. He's the greatest treasure, isn't he? The pearl of great price. To turn from our rebellion and to trust Jesus means that we're now right before God. And all that Jesus is becomes ours. His love and power transforming us and both now and for all eternity. And if you've got Jesus, you've got something priceless to share. However much you currently understand. And yes, there's more to learn about him and more to learn about his word. But, but don't wait for some magical day. Just share what you've got. Ask questions. Make a link to Jesus. Their story, your story, his story. So get close to people and share what you've got. Thirdly, look for receptive people. Look at verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Now, Sito shared this last week that he goes about his neighborhood in a predominantly Muslim country and looks for a man of peace, someone who will welcome him and be open to hearing about the Lord Jesus. And you know what? What works over there would work exactly the same in Edinburgh. It's the same thing, isn't it? Look for the right person, someone who is receptive. Don't keep badgering people who are clearly not interested. That gets really irritating. They won't like that. That doesn't really help. Be friendly. But keep looking for those who are warm towards Jesus. Look for those who are open and show an interest. It may be a friend. It might be someone you just keep meeting who's not a friend. It could be someone you just bump into and get into a conversation. And if they are receptive, ask them to read the Bible with you. 
Would you like to read the Bible with me? It's not the most threatening thing, is it? And when you start reading the Bible with someone, I think you are metaphorically in their house, verse 13. Hang out with them. Invite them to share a meal with you. Be, be with them. Share your life and share his words. I've got some great little inductive Bible studies uh, that I'm happy to share with you. It just has a couple of verses printed out on a page. You don't have to have a whole Bible, just a simple little sheet you print out. A couple of verses, you scribble on the sheet, you chat about it, and uh, some application questions. And if you want, to, want those, just ask me. I'll happily give them to you. And as soon as you can, I think, get people to have a look at the Bible so they can encounter Jesus through his words. I think we can spend fruitless hours talking about apologetic issues or hazy philosophical matters. God's word will do the work. And it's not just the preacher on a Sunday morning where the Bible works for them. It's, it's all of us who will open the word. God's word will do his work. You don't have to be a preacher. Just read the Bible with someone. And Jesus will bring in his harvest. I think it is so exciting. You know, when you've had one of those conversations and you've managed to have the boldness to ask them a question and link something to Jesus, that's exciting, isn't it? It really is. It's a privilege to be involved in any way to gather people to Jesus and encourage them to trust him as their savior and king. And whenever I have one of those conversations, I think, why don't I do it more? And it's because... It's so easy to get into our comfortable rut. We're out of time this morning, but I I want to close with just one final point that uh, we shouldn't forget that this is a serious mission of utmost importance. Look at uh, verses 14. We We must remember the judgment. Look at verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This really matters, doesn't it? There is a day when the judgment of God will come upon Edinburgh, upon all the cities of Scotland, upon all who've turned their back on God and rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. This is serious. God sent his son to make a way of salvation so we could be rescued from that day of judgment. And it's, and it's eternal consequences. And what will it be like to stand on that judgment day before God with the knowledge that we, we heard the good news about Jesus and we ignored it and we rejected Jesus, the only Savior? What if someone does look at the Bible with you for a few weeks start understanding the gospel and then they say well look uh, I'm not interested and they want to walk away Uh, my friend Graham Daniels will say this to such a person he said look that's fine if you want to stop that's that's fine but one thing I want to tell you I I will not mention anything more to you unless you ask me again but this Jesus we've been reading about one day you will meet him you will meet him and you'll have to give an account for your life. What an exciting privilege it is to be on mission with Jesus. It's the best news in the world. And uh, 
here's the method of Jesus. The compassion of Christ called his disciples to pray and the compassion of Christ called his disciples to go. Go and get close to people and share what you've got. Look for receptive people and remember the judgment. May God send out us as workers into his harvest field. I'm excited about the harvest that could come, aren't you? I really am. Let's pray.